All right, praise the Lord. Our God is a great God, amen? Amen, hallelujah. It's good to see everybody here today. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. Are we good in the back? All right. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be looking at this passage today. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Hallelujah. I got a word for you today. Hallelujah. And I believe that uh, God's going to really speak uh, powerfully to each of you. Uh, Let me just begin with a word of prayer. Uh, Lord God, I just pray that, God, you would open up our understanding and touch us with your spirit of wisdom and revelation and open up and reveal your word to us that it may not be dead words on a page, but living words in our lives. Oh God, I bind uh, the enemy who comes to cast doubt and to steal away the seed of your word. I bind the thief right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that, God, you would just have your way in our hearts today. Renew our minds. Transform our lives to the glory of your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So today, I want to talk about how Jesus is our great high priest. We know Christ as Savior, as friend, as master, as Lord. But it's not often that we think of Jesus as our great high priest. So today what I want to do is unpack this fantastic revelation of Christ. Alright, so if you're ready... All right, you got your Bibles open. Let's really look into it like a 10-year-old on Christmas morning. It's getting excited to unpack the Word of God. Amen? So if you're on verse 14, let me hear you say, come on. Here we go. Verse 14 says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Hallelujah. The word of God says that we have a great high priest. Oh, he's, he's our high priest. and Man, he's so great. He is our great high priest. And what is his name? Jesus, Jesus the Son of God. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, there's no high like the most high. Now, in the Old Testament, there were priests. And the priests back in the day, they were appointed by God to serve as mediators. And what they would do is they would enter into God's presence and they would offer sacrifices in order to atone for the sins of the people and to appease the wrath of our God. And you may think today that we don't have a need for priests in this way anymore. But it's not true. We need a mediator now more than ever. And whether we fall or we fail, we need a priest 
that will mediate on our behalf. And so what the Bible tells us is, the good news is, we have a mediator. And he's not in a temple over in Rome or in Jerusalem, but he is a mediator that has passed through the heavens. You can't get closer to God the Father than that. When you pass through the heavens, you up there, hallelujah. That means you is a mediator that is close to the Father. Hallelujah. And that's the kind of mediator that the Bible tells we have. We have a mediator that's passed through the heavens. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's a good verse. Brothers and sisters, the word of God says there is one mediator. One mediator. And Jesus is that mediator. Amen? Amen. I don't care what kind of religious background you have in here, but let's get things straight. The mediator's name is not Mary. It's not the saints. Nor is it a priest that sits behind this wooden room and you can only hear his voice and not really see his face. Uh, all right. Those are not the those are not the mediators. The Bible says there's only one mediator, and his name is Jesus, and he is a great high priest. To be his name. Hallelujah. And today, what I want to look at is what makes Jesus a great high priest. What makes Jesus a great High priest. What makes him so great? So today, what we're going to do is we're going to unpack three reasons. It's like three plus reasons why he is such a great high priest. Hallelujah. Somebody say, our God is great. great. And hallelujah. And, you know, praise the Lord. You know, like, you know, the songs that we were singing, you know, get talking about how great is our God. Great is our God. Great is our God. We kept singing that in the song previous uh, to How Great is Our God. And, and, and that's what, exactly what I'm preaching today. You know, we, we say it. How great is our God. But, you know, sometimes when you just sing it in songs, but you don't really know it in the word, it's, it's kind of a shallow confession. You see? But today what I want to do is unpack this. So you truly see the, the riches, the depth of how great our God really is. So next time you sing that song, hallelujah, which will be right after this message. I don't know which one, uh, probably and chose, but, but one of them is going to have that word great in it, I'm sure. It's going to come overflowing from your heart. And, and I was just overcome because this message, I was, I was talking to this message earlier. Um, and I know you might think that's weird. All right, but the word of God says our, the word is living and active. That means it's alive. So, you know, this message is here. It's not just, you know, dead words on the page. I'm really believing that it's living. So I was talking to her earlier. And I was like, come on, man, speak to me. Speak to me. Say something. Say something so that I got something to say. And during the praise time, I mean, the word just really came alive. And it was like, this is what this message is really about. And so, hallelujah, I, I hope that I can pull you into that same experience of the greatness of our God. Hallelujah. All right, so let's unpack three reasons why he's such a great high priest. Let's look at verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize 
with our weaknesses. Let's stop right there. Number one reason. Jesus is a great high priest because he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Let me, let me ask y'all a question. How many of you in here have ever felt weak? Uh, a couple of brothers, I ain't ever felt weak. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where you ever, you ever feel like you can't go on? You know that, that weakness feeling? Or, or perhaps some of us, God's doing a deep work and you're just grossly reminded of your weaknesses every day. And you just feel weak. Now, let me ask you this. When Jesus sees your weakness, when he sees your weaknesses, what do you imagine him doing? What do you imagine him saying? Man up, you wimp. What's wrong with you down there? Get your act together. Look, it's not that hard, all right? I mean, is that how we imagine him? All right, what we, we, how we, I mean, you know what? Some of us are, you know, that's the way, that's the way we think. You know, this, what I just said, this would be the words of a mediator who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. If we had a mediator with this kind of attitude, there will be little hope of finding any help from him in times of weakness. He will be a mediator of apathy, not sympathy. But praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that's not the high priest that's described in the word of God. The Bible tells us that we have a great high priest who is able. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And the word sympathy, you can think of it, you can, some people define it, and the first definition would be like pity or something like that. But I think we're looking more at the second definition that's listed in most dictionaries. Sympathy is not just pity, but sympathy meaning there is an understanding between people. There's a common feeling. And you might say, well, Jesus is all the way there up in heaven. How can the king of kings sympathize? With my weaknesses. And I'll tell you why. Because 2,000 years ago, hallelujah, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> Jesus stepped out of heaven and the Son of God took on human flesh and he was born as a man. He was born as a baby and then became a man, hallelujah. <laughs> he was born a man. That would be a hard labor, Hallelujah. He was born a baby and then became a man. And we call this, we call this the incarnation. And when he became a man, let's get this straight. Jesus experienced all the frailty and weakness that you and I go through every day. Jesus experienced weakness when he was in the desert, when he was tempted for 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. Don't think that he was numb because he's the son of God. I'm the son of God. I could fast. I could fast forever if I want to. You know, no, when he was in there, he experienced hunger. Jesus got tired. You might think, hey, Jesus, man, you got no problem, you know, waking up. You woke up almost every morning, go and pray with your father. I can't even wake up. This, I can't wake up. And you just, just like, you're thinking Jesus can't relate to that. But I'm telling you, Jesus had a hard time waking up. 
because he knew weakness as well. At the end of a long day after ministering to thousands and thousands of people, sometimes he just wanted to be alone. So the disciples couldn't find him. He'll just peace out on them without even telling them. Because he was tired. He just probably went and took a nap. You don't think Jesus took naps? Sometimes Jesus took a lot of naps, I'm telling you. He probably took those power naps. Woke up with power. Hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah. Yeah, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus felt weak. He felt so weak, he asked some of his disciples to pray with him. Of course, they fell asleep. Told him to wake up. They fell asleep again three times. And, what the, and, and one gospel, it says that he felt so weak that angels came and ministered to him. Come on. Jesus was resolved. But believe me, Jesus experienced weakness. He knows what it's like. And the scriptures are telling us today. That when you feel weak, Jesus understands. You see, he's not only close to the Father, but because he was on this earth, he's close to us. And that's the, number one, that's the first reason why that makes Jesus a great high priest. Because he is able to sympathize with our weakness. Let's look at verse 15 again. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Second reason, Jesus is a great high priest, is because he, was, he is able to help those who are tempted. Hallelujah. How's this mic? Are you guys able to hear me okay on this mic? Yeah, okay. All right. Is it cutting? Is it cut off a couple of times already, right? right I'm, I'm going to switch over to this mic real quick. Hallelujah. All right, we live. We live. Hallelujah. All right, so the Bible tells us, we, we, we good on the podcast? All right. The Bible tells us that he was tempted in every respect. Look at this. But the one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He's the spotless lamb. He was victorious in every respect because he has gained the victory. He wants to give you that victory. But just because he was victorious in every respect, don't you forget he was tempted too. In every respect. Look at a couple chapters earlier. Hebrews 2.18. Look at Hebrews 2.18. The word of God says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hallelujah. You see that? Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted. And because he suffered... He's able to help those who are being tempted. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been tempted? (laughs) 
tempted by the fruit of another. Is that, is that the lyrics? Oh, that, that song just came up. Uh, not a good song? Okay. Have you ever been tempted? Tempted to lose your patience? To take revenge? To be envious? To lose your temper? Have you ever been tempted by the devil? Have you been tempted? And when you get tempted in these ways, you may think to yourself, I can't talk to the Lord about this. He's holy. He is just holy. He don't know where I'm coming from. I got to deal with this myself. I got to fight through this myself. And a lot of times you fight through it yourself. And what do you do? You give in to the temptation. Brothers and sisters, check this out. Jesus knows how it's, how it's like to be tempted. You think he was all like goody two-shoes. Nuh-uh. Jesus, while he was on this earth, he was tempted. Think about it. He already knew through prophetic word of knowledge or however he knew, he already knew Jesus was going to betray him. Can you imagine when he's choosing the 12 apostles? He's like, Simon Peter, John faithful, Andrew, yeah, I love you. Judas, uh, I know what you're going to do. I don't want... Jesus, what was going on? Oh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Judas, I've chosen you. You're appointed as apostle. I mean, come on. You got, you got to imagine, man. They're hanging out. They're hanging out. Nobody sees Judas taking the money out of the, you know, the treasury. But Jesus sees it out the corner of his eye because he's, he's looking for it all the time. So, Man, I'm so tempted just to call him out. Hey, everybody, look what Judas is doing. Ugh, I just want to say something. He was tempted. Believe me, he was tempted. He was tempted to lose his temper, I'm telling you. He's going to the cross. He starts talking about the cross. Hey, I'm a, a son of man will be betrayed into, into the hands of men. He's going to be crucified on the third day. He's going to rise again. You guys understand this? I, I'm... I'm about, this is about to happen on this Passover. I'm about to get crucified. And they're, and they're just arguing about who's the greatest. All right, that's all great, Jesus. But can you tell us who's going to sit at your right and left? Over here, James and John, they're talking about they're going to sit on, and they got their mama involved in all of this. But Jesus, I know you and me, right? You, you, you gave me a new name, Peter. Come on. And Jesus is so tempted just to lose his temper and blow up. He's tempted. Imagine when he got captured and all these religious priests that say they know God, but really they don't. That honor him with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. He, he knows how they're like. And they come up to him with accusing words. And they say, who do you think you are? And Jesus remains silent. You think in those moments he was numb? You think he was just standing there like, let me just get this over with? No. When they were speaking to him, they were like, who do you think? Ah! Punched him right in the face. And then when Jesus got up, pop, slap from the other side. Kick over here. Not only was he beaten by the priest, he was beaten later on by Herod's 
soldiers, and then later on by the Roman soldiers. He took a beat. He was. He took a beating that day. You think each time he got hit, you don't think he was tempted to give them like a son of God super uppercut? Hallelujah, <laughs> man! I will knock you to the sky, literally. <laughs> and you can kind of see an indication of this. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, "Man, don't you think that I could just snap my finger and a legion of angels will come to my rescue right now?" He was tempted. He was tempted to. He was tempted, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't numb. But praise the Lord. He was tempted in every way. But was without sin. Now when you talk to him about your temptations. Check this out. He's not going to be critical and judgmental. How could you even think that way? How could you even let those thoughts into your head? How could you even get that angry? He's not going to come all critical. Uh-uh. Look at Hebrews 2.17. Hebrews 2.17 says, Instead, Jesus will be merciful and faithful instead. Amen? Amen. Merciful and faithful. Because why? Because he wants to help. He's not waiting for you to mess up. He's calling you to rise up. He wants to help you rise up. And hallelujah, not only that, the good news is, even when you fall, it says there in verse 17, uh, that he makes propitiation for your sins. Hallelujah. I don't know if that's there in the NIV, but in the ESV it says propitiation. Hallelujah. And I, and I, and I sense that God was saying to me, he wants me to preach that on a different message. So I'm not even going to define the word for you. Just know that he's doing something good for us. Hallelujah. So even when you fall, he's there to help. It's not like he wants to help just until you resist the temptation. And then when you give in to temptation, he's no longer wanting to help. Uh-uh. He makes propitiation for your sins. And we'll talk about that later. Hallelujah. So second reason, Jesus is a great high priest. Is because he is able to help those who are tempted. Let's look at verse 16 of chapter 4 again. Let's look back to chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Third reason that Jesus is a great high priest is because he is able to help those who are in times of need. Have you ever had a time of need? Maybe you're coming through something like that right now. You're going through something real tough. You have needs. There's something that You're in a time of need. And let me tell you something. Jesus understands. You see, if you ever talk to somebody that shares a similar tough experience with you, you don't even have to talk to that person that long. You can get an instant connection with them. If you ever had cancer and you went through chemotherapy, and that you meet another person for the first time, and they tell you that they went through chemotherapy, right away, oh, 
I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I went through that test. My hair fell out too. There's an instant connection. And in that same way, Jesus, he understands what, you, what you've gone through. He's been through different experiences in times of need as well. And no matter what you've been through or what you're going through today, what I'm trying to say is Jesus, he understands. So, I, I don't have many examples for this one, but I, I got other good stuff coming up. Third, third point is he's a great high priest because he's able to help in times of need. Okay. And um, look, at, look back to, let's jump back to Hebrew chapter 2 verse 17. Look back onto there. I want to focus on the beginning of that sentence. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Right? It doesn't say, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in 50% of the things that they go through, so that he might become... Uh, uh, somewhat sympathetic, uh, but mostly apathetic, uh, wanting to help but uh, is more demanding high priest. No. It's a merciful and faithful high priest. Why? Because he was made like us in every way. For Jesus to qualify as our great high priest, the Bible is saying he had to be made like us in every way. You know what? Jesus... He understands relationships. You know, in Mark 6, 3, Jesus, um, all these people come to him and says, Who, what is this wisdom that has been given to him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. If you read that verse, what is revealed is Jesus had Four brothers and at least two sisters. Let me ask you a question. Are you having problems with your siblings? Have you ever thought that your family is a little bit dysfunctional? Jesus understands. I mean, I, I only, I have one sister and I'm, I'm like, whoa. I mean, she, 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 she was a blessing, hallelujah. But, but come on. I look, at, I look at my mom's side of the family and I'm just, man, there's some dysfunctional stuff. Man, I remember when I first came to America, I was like in you know, third or fourth grade. I could barely read English, right? And my uncle, he was driving um, his, uh, my cousins to a tennis uh, practice or something. And I was just hanging out with him for the day. And he's like, he's like, you know, so young, you know, are you reading books these days? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, and so he goes, okay, read this. And he chucks me this copy of War and Peace. I kid you not. And he's, I want you to finish it by the end of the day. And I was like, what? And he was serious. Man, I was thinking, man, my, my, my mom's side of the family is a little bit dysfunctional. There's some weird things that are, but then I, I look at my dad's side of the family, and I think the same thing. 
Except they're just living in Korea. Have you ever thought your family's dysfunctional? You think you're the only one, right? Everyone thinks, my family is the most dysfunctional family ever. But everybody's thinking the same thing. Oh, look, Jesus thought that too. And he understands. If you look in Mark 3.20, it says that when Jesus entered a house, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And then when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him for they said, he is out of his mind. Let me ask you a question. Have you, have you ever had your family think that you're crazy? Jesus understands. I mean, Jesus knows relationships, brothers and sisters. You might be like, well, Jesus doesn't understand marriage. He don't know. Hallelujah. And there's a lot of joy to marriage. That Jesus probably doesn't understand because he was never married. But wait a minute before you make that bold statement. What do you mean Jesus doesn't understand marriage? Jesus knows what it's like for his spouse to cheat on him. The Bible talks about God as the groom and the church as the bride. And all throughout the Old Testament, the picture between God and his people was a picture of marriage where you were to not have many husbands, just one. You were to be married to the Lord your God and serve him and be faithful to him alone. You think marriage is tough for you? Jesus understands. Jesus has friends. He knows what it's like to have them desert you when you need them the most. If you've ever been betrayed by someone, I mean, you can care less if somebody who you're not that close to betrays you, but when your best friend or people that are closest to you, they betray you, Jesus understands. He's been there too. Jesus understands the relationships that we experience. A lot of you have jobs and you have problems at work. And very rarely do we go to Jesus about it. But check this out. Jesus knows what it's like to work. Jesus understands the nine to five. He knows what it's like to go in early and to stay late. Now, if you think about it, Jesus was a carpenter before he was a preacher. He spent more of his life in the marketplace rather than in the ministry. He only had about three years in ministry. But probably from when he was a teenager, he was helping his dad out as a carpenter. And have you ever tried... 
doing some hardcore carpentry lately? I mean, today we got these power tools, these power saws, these power guns and power, you know, home improvement. Uh, you know, like power tools, everything, right? That's why, you know, it's like almost glamorous to go to Home Depot, you know, in America or Lowe's. You know, because every, you know, carpentry is not that bad these days. But back in the day, they didn't have any of that. If you wanted to cut a big piece of wood, you did it manually. Cut that thing. <laughs> have you ever, ever used a manual saw? Uh, no joke. No joke. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. Hallelujah. Jesus understands work, brothers and sisters. He won't understand. No, he does. Jesus understands pain. He understands both emotional and physical pain. Isaiah 53 says, Jesus was despised. He was rejected. A man of sorrows and grief. You think Jesus was numb when he went through all the things he did? Uh Uh-uh. Jesus felt sorrow. He felt emotional pain. Even from his childhood. Imagine growing up in his hometown and everybody knows that you were born out of an illegitimate birth. Perhaps that's you. And Jesus is saying, look, I know the stigma is attached to that. I went through it too. Jesus was ridiculed even when he began his ministry. He was ridiculed for his hometown. People would say, what good can come out of Nazareth? It was like, I don't know. What good can come out of Suwon? I don't know. I don't know. Like It was some like despised little town that nobody took seriously. Jesus was even ridiculed on the cross. I mean, he's crucified. He's nailed to the tree. And one of the dudes is still hurling insults at him. In fact, actually, the crowd all around them were still ridiculing him. They were like, he, he healed all these sick, but he can't take himself down from the cross. And, the, and the one, of, one of the dudes next to him said the same thing. If you're so great, Well, take yourself down from this cross. And Jesus was just carrying that emotional pain. He was a man who was despised, rejected, familiar with sorrow and grief. Jesus was rejected. Have you ever gone through rejection? We have a lot of people that come through Korea, that come through this church, that have uh, been adopted. Korea is, has a very high statistic uh, because they've given up their babies for adoption over these last decades. A lot of people who've been adopted, and they struggle with rejection, and they think Jesus does not understand the rejection that I've experienced. He does. You see, Jesus... When he entered Jerusalem, there was crowds of people that were healed by him, that were fed by him, that were taught by him. And they all shouted, Hosanna, 
Hosanna in the highest. And they laid down these palm branches and they welcomed Jesus in on a donkey and said, Hosanna in the highest. And a few days later, they were the same ones who rejected him and said, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. And you don't think those crowds of people, they were on the road to Golgotha as Jesus was carrying his cross up that road. You don't think those crowds of people came up on that road and were like, and Jesus remembers healing that person just a week ago. You don't think Jesus understands? He does. He knows emotional pain. He knows physical pain. Like I already mentioned, he was beaten three times. The Bible says they plucked his beard. I, I don't know how that feels. I can't really grow one. But man, can you imagine? That would be painful. Right, Roy? Or, or actually, Brady got a nice beard right there. Minja, Minja, Minja why, don't you, why don't you go ahead and uh, <laughs> pluck that beard of his to see how he reacts. I mean, they, they plucked his beard. That's painful, man. He knew, he knew physical pain. They put a crown of thorns on his brow. They laid 39 whips across his back. And you kind of wonder, why did Jesus die where the other two guys that were crucified with him didn't? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus was tortured to death. He was physically, emotionally, there's so much pain, he pretty much died from torture. Because, you know, crucifixion wasn't designed to kill you, by the way. It was designed as suffering, humiliation. It wasn't designed to kill. But Jesus died on that cross. Because he went through incredible pain. Jesus understands pain. Jesus, you know, what's interesting is um, in Mark 6, the people in that town, they say, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Mary's son? And it's interesting that they say Mary's son instead of, isn't this Joseph's son? And that's because when you even look in Mark chapter 3, the passage about Jesus' family looking for him, you'll notice that Joseph is not looking for him with him. And if you think about it, the Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but think about this. When Jesus was on the cross, he only said a few things. It's not like he started giving like this big sermon on the cross. He, he only had enough energy just to say a few things. And out of all the energy he could muster, one of the things he said was he looked to John and said, Behold, this is your mother. Then told Mary, Behold, this is your son. And the Bible says from that day on, John took Mary into his house to live with her. Now that's very, very strange. If your husband is still alive. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost a loved one? Have you ever lost a loved one? Someone that you cherish dearly. Jesus understands what it's like. To bury his own father. 
and then to put his arms around his mom and walk away from the burial site and try to console her while at the same time trying to console himself. Jesus understands. No matter what you've been through or what you're going through today, Jesus understands. The Bible says in Hebrews 2.17 that the reason why he's such a great high priest, a merciful, faithful high priest, is because he was made like us in every respect. In other words, Jesus understands. That's what makes him such a great high priest. Not because he has all this power and glory and splendor, but because he was made like us in every way. And therefore, he becomes this wonderful, great mediator. Now, what is our response to this amazing truth? Let's go back to Hebrews 4.16. And the word of God says, Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What is our response to the revelation of how great of a high priest Jesus is? What is our response? The Bible says here, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Or I like the King James Version says, let us boldly approach the throne of grace. Hallelujah. Let us come boldly, brothers and sisters, not proudly, not presumptuously, but boldly knowing that we do not have an apathetic high priest, but a sympathetic one. Knowing that he understands all our weaknesses, temptations, and needs. William J. said it this way. Blessed be his name. He is on a throne of grace. And we are allowed and even commanded to come to it boldly. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, the throne is a throne of grace that Jesus is seated on. And he does not only have the name King of Kings, wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, on it is also great high priest. And that great high priest is seated on that throne. And he has walked the earth just as you and I are trying to do right now. And when you go to that throne, criticism and judgment doesn't flow from it. Instead, that's where you find mercy, grace, and help. So brothers and sisters, approach the throne of grace boldly. Knowing that he understands everything that we are going through. Let us pray. Lord Father, we just praise you and thank you so much. 
that you are seated on the throne. You are seated on the throne. You are the king. You are the Lord. But God, we praise you, God, that that throne is not just this wonderful, lavish throne, but it's also a throne of grace. And it's a throne that we do not need to fear. It's a throne that when we mess up, when we are tempted, when we are weak, when we have needs, we don't have to be afraid to approach that throne. We can be bold in approaching that throne. Hallelujah. And God, that your people in this place would just get it. Oh, that they would get this word. They would see the greatness of Jesus, our high priest. They would say, oh, how great our high priest, how great he is. For not only is he seated on that throne, but he walked on the earth. And he was made like you and me in every respect. And he did not get disqualified. But he walked faithfully without sin. And not only is he the Lamb of God that was slain for us, but he's also our great high priest that makes active mediation, intercession for us today. We thank you, God. We praise you, God, for that wonderful truth. We just bow before your throne today. Amen.